It's tragic, really. We all have a story. A dark secret wrapped in emptiness and regret. You know. The Toll. I'm Nancy Simpson. Previously on The Toll. Hearts for Gloria. She was the kind of person, you know, that everybody wants to be. Then she got taken away from us. Well, it made me furious because I thought, what right do you have to do that? We were trying to get her help to talk to a counselor, to talk about her problems, life that was going on. I absolutely believe other family members Mm -hmm. were involved in this. Mm -hmm. They tell you that too? Mm -hmm. Yep. Yes, they do. They make no bones about? No bones about. Their theories? Yep. In detail. But I remember having a cold feeling that night. No, I didn't go. And I like to never forgive myself for not going. Looking at the whole picture, honestly, just kind of makes me think that's more of the cover-up. Gloria Barnes's body was found states away from her home, which was near the Arkansas-Tennessee border in 1997. Police in Springfield, Missouri, have been left to try and find her killer after her body was left on a truck stop parking lot. Family blames other family for this tragedy, accusing a brother of keeping secrets for more than two decades. Was Gloria grabbed from a payphone in the middle of the night? Was her paranoia justified? Since she's dead, some say yes. This is The Toll. Hearts for Gloria. We're going to go down two roads as it pertains to theories in this murder. The family angle and the serial killer angle. We're going to start with the family, and like Springfield Police Lieutenant Cully Wilson says, they are very passionate about their theory, which we've touched on. John, the youngest brother in the family of seven siblings, talks about their other brother, who we're calling Matt. I don't think it was any one particular person. I think there was probably, just based on knowledge of the people, at least three or four people involved in what happened to her between actually killing her, getting her out of town, the reason she needed to be dead, uh, according to them. You know, all of it combined. My theory, especially where Matt's involved, my theory actually became, what if he actually did leave his job? What if he went over there to find her and found what had happened? Maybe rolled up on it. Hey, what's going on over here? Ooh, bad. Somewhere there in Joiner. I don't know. Does he know who did it? I think so. Maybe he knows why. Maybe he knows all of it. Maybe he was there. I don't know. Maybe he just found out. I don't know that either. But does he know more than he's told us? Yeah. John says Sarah started confronting Matt about her theories. As far as solving the case, I don't think it's done one way or the other. Uh, You know, as far as getting to a resolution of the case, has it caused more tension? Yeah. You know, Sarah and Matt used to be really close. Almost as close as me and him. They were always right there together. But once her suspicion started up and she started making those accusations with him, he instantly goes on defensive. So he puts up this wall. You can throw whatever you want at him and he's just going to look at you and go, prove it. John says a couple of years after the murder, as the family really started trying to piece things together, there was a pivotal moment that made them start asking different questions. Up until that point, he says, they were still a strong family. But 
Shortly thereafter is when certain things started to happen. And okay, we want to sit down, we want to talk to Matt about how he feels and you know what his take on things is. And then he starts making jokes or he starts, well, we need to do this, that, or the other. He would actually say things like, there's no evidence to be found. That's what started the mistrust. We found out, I don't remember if it was three years or four years after her death, that he had her watch, which is something she always wore. Uh, Well, okay, well, how'd you get her watch? And then he would never say. But then he would make comments, oh, well, the watch stopped at the time she died. Okay, how do you know what time she died? I mean, you wouldn't say things like, oh, it stopped at the time she died. Nobody knows what time she died. And I don't know if he was making comments like that because it's what he felt or what he knows. And that's where the issues within the family started. Sarah says her brother, Matt, would make other strange comments years later. He would say things to me like, there is no DNA. Well, how do you know? Well, someone told me. Sarah says another brother was in a bad crash. The family gathered at the hospital and Matt was there. We were in the cafeteria and he said, here's this cop. You want some DNA? Here. He put it in the trash. She says he was taunting her to dig it out if she wanted his DNA. But Sarah says it's this one right here that makes her theories about Matt start to really come together, at least for her. He would tell me she was transported in an 18-wheeler. He traveled in the vehicle behind. But he's telling you that Gloria's body is in a vehicle he's following. Yeah. He's telling you this. Well, he said someone traveled in the vehicle behind, but I heard it was him. John and Sarah both believe family and extended family did this. They had access to semis. They had access to Gloria. And Sarah says that group had a secret. I believe Gloria was killed because they were selling drugs. They got into drugs, big time drugs. They say in 1997, Jorner was crystal meth. I want to point out here, I have viewed the autopsy report. There were no drugs or alcohol in Gloria's system. Sarah and John agree that Gloria was in over her head with information and was scared for her life that night. Everything she was doing, they say, was for one goal, to get her boys back. She was about to be in a battle with her ex-husband to get her custody of her kids. The biggest story that I keep hearing is that she found some evidence against him that would probably win her that case, and they had to shut her up. It's like every time I start digging into different stories, it all kind of comes back around to she knew something on somebody that she was fitting to use against them, and they had to put a stop to that. But they're all extended family. That area around Joyner, around the 97 time frame, pretty much the whole town was some form of extended family. You run into somebody on the street, they're related in one way, either by birth or by marriage, they're related in one way or another. It's all people everybody knew. John keeps going back to the night Gloria was on the payphone. Remember Matt saying that he left work to go look for her. That's where his suspicions start. The fact that he didn't see anything, he didn't find her, he didn't see anybody around town is what I don't believe. Do you think at that point he was involved with the cover-up of her murder? I think so. I can't prove it. And that, again, comes back to the, some of the things that have happened with Sarah, because she's been more vocal, especially directly to him about how she feels. 
I have not because I'm an analytical person. I want to analyze it. I have my feelings. I have my beliefs, but it all is going to come down to what can I prove? She'll tell him straight out how she feels. And his response every time she would bring something like that up is to look at her and say, prove it, knowing that she can't. Both siblings agree that Gloria was killed by someone who knew her and someone who was angry with her. Springfield Police Lieutenant Cully Wilson says, okay, let's talk about that. Where I would go more that somebody that knew or was closer to her is the majority of homicides is somebody they knew or somebody they'd run into. That would be more my speculation. I don't want to use the, the blanket and her on the back, uh, that back parking lot and say, yeah, somebody knew her. And I'm thinking of a kind of a logical, being objective is, if I was going to hide a body, one, I've done a better job than the suspect did, but he's in a truck, he's got this body, he needs to do something with her, and rolling her up in the blanket probably got him a little time that he could get farther away, is what his thought. And he putting her on that back parking lot. I would put her some, you know, me and I, I try to put myself in the, unfortunately, in the criminal's shoes a lot, I'd have, I would have... Um, I don't want to say, I'll say dumped. I don't want to say dumped her body. I would have dumped her body somewhere else. Serial killers. There have been others investigated in the past for this murder, but in May 2020, there was a new guy who Springfield police started to put under the microscope. His name is Clark Perry Baldwin, and he used to live in Springfield, Missouri, where Gloria's body was found on the truck stop parking lot. I asked Springfield Police Lieutenant Cully Wilson about DNA. If I had good DNA right now on a suspect, we'd, we'd probably be talking a little bit differently right now. Not that I know of yet. So not yes, not no? Not yes, not no. I can <laughs> either confirm or deny your question, Nancy Simpson. Well, we've gone through two serial killers, right? The one a few years ago and then one recently. Mm -hmm. Do those fit the MO here? Do they? What, what does that look like? <sighs> Was that him? The Iowa guy is very interesting, and we're we're still looking at him. I, we've actually talked to the, I think he's in Tennessee now. Anyway, we've talked to the Iowa. I talked. We've talked to those. Is that uh, the one most recent? The most recent. Okay. Yeah, he lived down here for a while. Right, right. So he has ties down here. He's a truck driver. Um, so just looking at how he was kind of do it. Yeah, it fits. But again, he's kind of the stereotypical. Serial killer truck driver, you know. That's the problem. A lot of this with Gloria uh, is it fits the way what happened to her. But again, we don't want to, you know, we can't narrow it down. But yeah, we're also looking at him as well on this. We have to. We have to look at what the family's saying. And then we have to also look at this gentleman, which he doesn't have any ties with the family other than he's a truck driver and he's from, you know, he actually lived here in Springfield. Clark Baldwin has been linked to several murders. One of the first killings was a college student from New Jersey headed to Iowa to start her senior year. It was August 23, 1992. Tammy Jo was 21 and a rugby player from Grinnell College. She had dropped her brother off at a different college in Illinois. We learned during the trip her car had overheated in Indiana and her brother was able to fix it and get him back on the road. Witnesses say they later saw a young woman matching Tammy Joe's description with her car on the side of the road along I-80 in Illinois. A truck driver had stopped and was looking under the hood, appearing to try to help. That truck's description and a bushy-haired man description became the focus of the abduction case for investigators. Tammy Joe's body was found dumped along I-44 west of Mount Vernon, Missouri, nearly two weeks later. This would be 38 miles from where Gloria's body was found on the truck stop parking lot in Springfield. Tammy Joe had been stabbed seven times in the chest and once in the arm, similar to Gloria's injuries. Tammy Joe's body had been wrapped in a sheet and blanket, two layers 
like Gloria's body. Another killing linked to Clark Baldwin is a truck stop convenience store clerk who was beaten to death during an overnight shift in northern Iowa, again, 1992. Then there are two victims who have yet to be identified 400 miles apart in Wyoming, 1992. But it was a case out of Tennessee that broke the serial killer's identity wide open. 1991, a year before the string of homicides, Pamela McCall and her unborn baby. A cold case investigator submitted DNA evidence to a crime lab in 2020. Genealogy matches led them to a relative, and FBI agents gathering DNA from Baldwin's trash and a Walmart cart confirmed he was their suspect. Put that in a national database, and bingo, he was linked to the other murders. His ex-wife told investigators in 1992 during the bulk of the killings that her husband bragged about strangling a girl out west and throwing her body out of his truck. Then in 1997, the year Gloria went missing, is when his apartment was raided in Springfield, Missouri for counterfeit money, and he went to prison for 18 months. I checked the date on that. His place was searched on October 28th, and he was federally indicted on November 14th. So yes, he would have been a free man in July 1997 when Gloria was abducted and murdered. Her body was found on that truck stop parking lot in the city that Baldwin called home. I asked Springfield Police Lieutenant Cully Wilson, why might Gloria's body be left on a parking lot? Many, not all of Baldwin's victims were left in a ditch. There's a lot of places to place a body between Joyner, Arkansas Darn and right. Springfield, Missouri. Yep. Why here on a parking lot where it's going to be found within a matter of... You got to think, did he know, had he been here before? Probably. If, if, and we're all going, he's a truck driver. He's a, she's in a semi-truck. You know, that's not 100%, you know. She could have been, they could have had her in a, a pickup truck or a van or something like that. That's probably getting on these investigations. We narrowed down on, on semi-truck, which is, she's on a, uh, at a truck stop. So we think, okay, pay, but that's not, you know, it could be something else. A car that could have had her in a trunk. It could have been more than one person. In these situations, it's like the old boy, we're thinking about the old boy from Iowa, the recent gentleman up there that's the serial killer. You know, drive around, and we've seen it time and time again, where the truck driver kills somebody, and then they dump the body somewhere else, that sort of thing, which this fits. It, it Just that stereotypical kind of truck driver serial killer murder, it does, it fits. But we're not going to narrow say that's exactly what happened because we don't have the evidence. He could have pulled the side of the road somewhere between here and in Arkansas and just rolled her down the ditch. Uh, but he decided to do it here. I would speculate the person had been here before. He'd been to Seven Gables out there. You could look at me anyways. You could look at it like he did it on purpose, put her there for some reason, had her wrapped up. Or he had to get that body out of his truck. You know, where did he put her in the carpet? You know, did he do it there? Did he do it, you know, somewhere else? I say carpet that uh, blanket somewhere uh, and roll her up in it. Lieutenant Wilson says they just don't have the answers yet. A couple of players in that family theory are dead. Oh, yeah. Yeah, they are. As you well know, you've been investigating it yourself. And yeah, some of them are already dead. The time is the worst thing. Um, You go back to the 1970s cases we're still looking at, you know, heck, everybody's passed away. And the longer it gets, the worse it gets for us to, the the harder it gets for us to to solve um, and we go back and we look at this stuff did we miss something and we really we go over this case quite a bit and um, I say quite a bit we go over all of them not as much as I would like but we go over them and look again like is there something that we missed and that's why I like talking to the family you know too is there something we missed something we don't know and they do give us they give us a lot of information is there something we need to start is there a path we need to 
go down this path and see if it dead ends or does it keep going? Lieutenant Wilson says Gloria's body being transported in a semi is a theory. There's the semi-truck description with the Elvis decals, but apparently that's not a rock-solid lead. John, Gloria's brother, who is a police officer, believes Gloria was transported in a refrigerated semi, using science as his guide. If the body is rapidly cooled after activity, then it'll cause rigor mortis to progress at a normal rate. It kind of counteracts it. Knowing this, it's like, okay, well, if she fought before she died, which I know she would have, something had to slow that process down for rigor mortis to be the state that it was in at the time of the autopsy. That says to me, being put into a refrigerated truck. It's not like they put her in the back of a pickup. This is July. It's hot down here. One of the other people that we think could have been involved owned two semi-trucks at the time. It would be very easy to get access to those to get her body out of town. When I covered the press conference in 2005, police in Springfield wanted to get the word out about a CB transmission that seemed to be linked to Gloria's murder. Officers wouldn't tell reporters what was said, just that they wanted whoever left the tip to call police for more information. When I asked Lieutenant Wilson about this, he couldn't recall what was in that message. John, Gloria's brother, tells us what he knows about that aspect of the case. I talked to the detectives about that not long after we found out about it. Apparently, there was someone running a CB base station here in town. Uh, Basically, they just sit at their house and listen to all the truckers talk. And they heard traffic over the CB radio. Initially, probably didn't think much of it until all the news stories started to hit. And then we're here and then the the police are putting out their information. And then this person goes, that must have been the traffic I heard. So they contacted the police department and told them, this is what we heard. I don't know the full story of it. The only phrase that I've ever heard come out of that, and pardon my French, was that somebody on a CB said, did they find a bitch behind Seven Gables yet? That's the only part of the transmission I've ever heard come out. Which really, when I heard that, made me upset because of having this feeling and all of us, you know, having this idea that whoever was involved in this is somebody who knows the family. How could somebody so close to our family and knowing who Gloria was not only do something, but say something like that about her? Here's one thing both John and Sarah adamantly agree on. Gloria would not get into a semi with a stranger. Not willingly. That wasn't her, they say. And John adds Gloria's guard was way up in those last days. That's not her. That's something she would never do. If she don't know you, you might as well just keep right on going. Closer to the time that she got killed, she had become increasingly distrustful of people. Right off the bat, if she don't know you, she don't trust you. So would she get into a vehicle, a semi-truck, or any other vehicle with somebody she don't know? Uh Uh-uh. No. John thinks about Gloria standing at that payphone in the dark, alone. The what-if set in. You know, the toll. I mean, if I had been down here, and and that's one of the hardest parts for me, is the fact that I've been so far away for so long, and then this happened. There was nothing I could do about it. Because I know if if I were down here and she called me, I don't care if it's 2 o'clock in the morning. I'm going to get up, I'm going to get my car, I'm going to go pick her up, bring her to my house. It's just the way I am. Help, somebody's somebody going to come and get me. Now, I'm going to come and get you. I'll be right there. And the fact that, uh, you know, she would try to sit, tell people this stuff and nobody would believe it until this. I mean, it took her being killed for people to go, oh, well, maybe she wasn't crazy. 
He thinks about that a lot. Sarah said she was saying weird things, which if you take them out of context, she looks irrational. But if you put them in the context of somebody actually was targeting her or threatening her, then the things she's saying make perfect sense. What are some of those things? She used to tell people that somebody was after her. Our middle brother also got a phone call from her the night before she uh, disappeared. And he's saying she says somebody's coming to get her. She thought people were following her. She thought that people were after her. She would say that they're coming to get me. Taken out of context, it presents the same symptoms as somebody that's paranoid. You know, a lot of people thought Gloria was crazy with the things that she would say and the things that she would do. Well, given the fact that she's now deceased, it doesn't seem so crazy. It makes perfect sense. She knew. You just didn't believe. Sarah says it felt like she slept for 10 years after Gloria's death. Deep sadness that eventually strengthened her faith. Sarah says she's just now able to grow her hair out. Why? Because Gloria was crafty and always made pretty bows for their hair. No long hair. No bows. That was Gloria's thing. A pastor told Sarah growing it out may help in healing. She's trying. John says he was relieved when he got to move home from Ohio in 2017. He got to visit his mother in the nursing home, and he can keep pushing with his own investigation in the area where Gloria lived and was taken. At least as much as time allows. He hauls around a big binder labeled Gloria Barnes Case File. Springfield Police Lieutenant Cully Wilson says Gloria's body being left so far from home absolutely complicates this investigation. It really complicates it because you really look at the whole aspect of the crime. So, you know, we believe she was picked up down in Joyner, Arkansas. If we had a suspect said, I killed her in, let's say, Harrison, Arkansas, that's where the actual murder took place. Really, we have where the body took place. And so we have to, we have we treat it as a homicide. We're investigating it as a homicide. We really don't know where she was killed at. We know what the body's at. With no links here, we have to go, one, just, just the physical distance. And it's, you think it's, you know, it's down by Memphis. So it's about four hours away, but that complicates it. Just talking to witnesses, talking to family members, talk to family members. Hey, you know, you probably ought to talk to this guy. Yeah, we can do it immediately. A family member down there may say that, and then we go try to find him. They're gone for a day. Well, we got to come back and go back. Just the just the physical distance of it. Another thing is nobody know knows her up here. You know, um, we on a, a homicide investigation, which uh, we seem to be doing quite a few this year. Um, we talk to friends. We've talked to family member. Talked to people that are not even involved. weren't even witnessed there, and we we get information from that. And it's sometimes very tough to do that when this took place where she was picked up down there in Joyner, and then she ends up up here in Springfield. It, it, it complicates everything. And, and it's really that, that distance. And our body's here, but our information is down in Joyner. Everything else is down in there. Everything's down in there. The suspect who picked her up, the where she got picked up, her family members, the last person that saw her, the last person that talked to her, everything she was doing, what she was doing, her arrest records, any record she has is all down there. And... We have the body and, the, and, the, and it's, it's tough. It's very tough. And he knows this is hard on the family. The family members have to drive that four hours up here the whole way thinking why they're coming up here and they're going to come talk to us. And, and for the family, none of it is positive or good. Even if I could tell them right now that who did it and why they did it and everything, which I'd love to be able to do that, it's still none of it is good. It's tragic, and they're having to deal with it. And they've been dealing with it for 23 years, you know. The way they communicate with us most of the time is by telephone or email. That's tough. Yes, John, Gloria's brother, feels this to his core. 
it's hard. It's hard to come over here, you know, because every time I come here, this place is centered with a tragedy in my family. Before that, Springfield was just another town on the map to me. Never been here, never really had any plans on coming through here. But after that, it's forever the place where my sister was found. So every time I come through Springfield, it makes it difficult. But at the same time, I can't stay away from here. I've got to come here. I've got to talk to people. I've got to keep that story alive. Sarah, Gloria's sister, says the idea of her other brother helping cover up Gloria's death will never go away. Someone once asked me what it felt like. I said, well, if you could take your heart out, put it in the blender and puree it and put it back in, that's probably what it feels like. I didn't even say my sister was dead for 12 years. What would you say? She was murdered, which I know murdered means she's dead. But I think everybody does things in life that you regret. Yeah, people make mistakes. I believe people can have second chances. People could shoot someone in the heat of anger. But not everyone has remorse. Not everyone is sorry. And that's how I feel. I don't feel they're sorry. He basically told me he sold a soul a long time ago. The day after Gloria's body was found would have been her 36th birthday. It tears John up. That's why when I sit and I read through the autopsy report, it's another reason why it kind of upsets me as much as it does, because first thing on there is the date and time, you know, and uh, she got an autopsy for her birthday. John says this to his brother, Matt. You know more than you're talking about. The bottom line is it's time for you to tell us what you know. I can't speak for Sarah and how she would feel, but for myself, involved, not involved, guilty, not guilty, you're still my brother. I may not like you very much, but you're still my brother. But you need to tell us what you know. You're sick. Eventually, this illness is going to get the better of you. Mother's already had to go to her grave without knowing what happened. Don't go to yours carrying it with you. I moved on. We changed their brother's name to Matt, very unsure he'd call and talk about the accusations being thrown at him by other family members. I left messages on numbers I had rounded up. Nothing. But his name is Michael Brewer. Matt, as we've called him up until now. But his real name is Michael. And after another round of last-minute calls before finalizing this story, his fiance called me. Michael was having surgery. He was very sick, as we had learned from John, and was in the hospital. But she would encourage him to call me. She, too, says she wants to know who killed Gloria. Put this to rest. And he did. Just arrived home. I could hear a machine beeping in the background, and the tail end of Hurricane Laura was whipping through Louisiana, where he lives. It was keeping our phone line connection interesting. I told him about the accusations and theories levied by his brother and sister, Sarah and John, how they thought Michael had helped cover up their sister Gloria's murder back in 1997. Really? <laughs> well, that's better than I killed her. <laughs> um, you know, I've been going through this for decades now with them, and, you know, trying to have me arrested for it, uh, calling different police departments, getting warrants issued, you know. Luckily, I was in law enforcement, so, you know, they come and talk to me. Michael says he was a sheriff's deputy in Arkansas, later on SWAT on President's Island in Tennessee, and retired from a police department in Louisiana. 17 years in all. And he says this right here, him being a sworn officer of the law, is why the tension built over the years into a boiling mess. I'm not hiding anything. I give everything I get to the 
to the police department. Even today, if I wanted to get something, I would call Springfield Police and give it to them. But Michael says he could not extend the same courtesy to his family. You're not at liberty to disclose information about an open investigation to anyone other than law enforcement. So if I did know something, I couldn't tell them. I had to tell the detectives who were investigating the case, and that's what eat them up. Is because when I would get information, instead of giving it to them, where Sarah could go out there and jump all over people like she did in the past and almost got me killed, I would give it to the, to the detectives and let them work on it. That's my job. Michael is retired now because of health challenges. So I asked him what he found out along the way about his theory on what happened to Gloria. He tells me Gloria's husband had been abusive in the past, stalking her, ramming her car, and he had reason to believe he had been physically abusing Gloria. They were in the process of getting divorced, and Gloria was fighting to get her two boys back. They were older at this point, not little. Michael, like John and Sarah, says he believes drugs were at the heart of this murder. So I started listening to Gloria. She would come to my house. She wouldn't eat for nobody. She wouldn't drink for nobody. She didn't want to stay at anybody's house, but she would stay at mine because I listened. She felt safe there. I didn't accuse her of being crazy. I understood. She wanted her her two sons back, and it was rough on Gloria. Gloria never drank, did drugs, anything like that. She was uh, she was raised Pentecostal, and she you know she grew up that way. Her husband, on the other hand, and his brother, and my other sister ex-husband, um, were all involved in a big drug ring down in Joyner. And um, Gloria intercepted something that her husband was supposed to be getting. I believe she used that as leverage to try to get her kids back, and that got her killed. But he says involvement in the town ran deep. Nobody wants to believe me. You know, it's a big conspiracy theory. When, when I say it, that's, that's what everybody says. Oh, it's just, that's just a conspiracy theory, but it's not. I live there. I know. I knew who was in the drugs. I knew who was selling. I knew who was involved in it. They had cops involved in it. They had local politicians involved in it. They were transported in Perry's trucks, which is who transported her body. The truck that she was supposed to be carried in belonged to my ex-brother-in-law. It sat in Joiner's stripped down for almost 20 years before they moved it. They took the fairing off the top, and they painted the doors. Did that by chance have the Elvis picture that has been talked about? Yes. But the police in Arkansas didn't want to investigate it. They knew what they were investigating. I run into this from time to time. Theories that work to implicate law enforcement and politicians involved in cover-ups. It seems to be an easy go-to for so many that police don't want to solve the crime because they're in on it. I don't know if what Michael is saying is true or not. It's been decades. I just know it's an easy conspiracy to throw out there. I also acknowledge it happens. This theory comes from Michael. The semi-tractor that police in Springfield were looking for with the Elvis and Graceland decals, Michael says that was Perry's truck. Perry, as he said, is going to be their youngest sister's ex-husband. They had been long divorced when Gloria was murdered and Perry is no longer alive. I go back to that semi. It seems like a crucial detail. Perry had a trucking company. He transported trailers. And I kept telling him I've seen that truck on President's Island. And then I realized... That's Perry's truck. I moved back to Joiner and bought a store in a bar over there to try to see could I get any more information. And that truck sat beside the uh, hardware store in Joiner, stripped down for years after Gloria died. And it was still there when I left. Did you pass on this information to police? Oh, yeah. Michael outlines what he knows about the timeline in Gloria's disappearance. 
the day before she went missing, she came to my house. That's how come she was wearing my clothes. That was my shirt, my wife's shirt she had on. She came to my house upset, telling me that um, my sister Sarah had her post office key and wouldn't give it to her. And I'm like, well, what's the big deal about a key? And she's like, oh, because I'm, I got something in the mail she can't get. And she left. And I didn't see her again after that. I would ask when Gloria would talk to me, she would tell me, before anything happens to me, I'm going to call you and tell you what's happening. And I'm like, okay, because she wouldn't really, she didn't want to say. She didn't want to involve me in it. But I already knew, and I told her what I knew, and she didn't deny it. She just looked at me and said, "When I, before something happens, I'll call you and tell you. And she tried, but I was at work when she called. I didn't receive the phone call. A friend of mine did. That friend's name is Eddie, the one Sarah and John talk about. Gloria calls Eddie in distress. She thinks she's talking to Michael. But Michael was at work on President's Island, which, by the way, is a major river port and industrial area on a peninsula in southwest Memphis, Tennessee. Gloria was on a payphone in Joyner, Arkansas. Now, this is going to elapse the time from she called, my wife paged me. It took a little bit for me to get to a payphone. Once she told me, you know, I tried to call the payphone a couple of times that Gloria called from. It's a good little ride from Memphis to Joyner. Back, I worked for SWAT back then on President's Island. So I, I got permission. I took my unit. I went to Joyner. Gloria wasn't at the payphone. I drove to my dad's house, which was right down the street. I didn't see her out there anywhere. I went to my cousin's where she was supposed to be staying. didn't see her there. So I went out the way they said they saw her walking. I had drove out that way and got her back on the interstate and went all the way back to work. I asked if he stopped at anyone's home along the way to ask about Gloria. No, I just drove by because it was late at night. I didn't want to start waking people up. Besides that, I, I had to get back to work, you know. But I wanted to check on my sister. But she wasn't there. She wasn't at the payphone or the store. She wasn't at my dad's. She wasn't at my cousin's where she had been staying. So she had left my cousin's house to go to the, wherever and ended up at the payphone. In later reports, the convenience store connected to the payphone Gloria was using had been burglarized that night. Michael says he believes that was part of the cover-up. The store was not damaged. There was no, it didn't look like nobody had broken the store like they're claiming. The payphone was still had gravel around the bottom of it. The very next morning, they poured cement around the payphone. Then they claimed that the store was robbed and destroyed and all kind of stuff, and that didn't happen. Uh, I want to say maybe two days later, we found out she was gone, and then my mom and I started going out there after work looking for clues. We got ran off by the sheriff's department who was investigating the case, or so they say. Michael says this, in his mind, is where you'll find evidence of murder. He thinks gravel on the ground around the payphone had blood on it, and powers that be in the drug trade had cement poured over it the next morning. The only thing I think that the police screwed up on was they didn't pick up that cement, because if they killed her at that payphone, her blood's on that, on that gravel. But it was dark outside at night. I wasn't looking for blood and, and, you know, for my sister to be dead. I was trying to find her, thinking, well, let me just take her to, to Dad's house and, and let her be. But she wasn't nowhere around. I believe they got that payphone. I go down the list of things that have made his siblings, Sarah and John, suspicious of Michael's involvement in Gloria's murder over the years. I start by asking him about taunting Sarah over getting his DNA. They just kept on about, 
I killed Gloria. I had something to do with killing Gloria. Or because I was a cop, I covered it up. And I just got I fed, fed up with it, you know. And, and they would say stuff about, then give your DNA. And I'm like, here it is. Take it. I've been questioned by the police. I've done a polygraph test. I, you know, I've been cleared. Yeah, that's the first thing they do in an investigation is the husband or wife and the family members. That's, that's standard procedure. Um, so, yeah, I would tell him, here, you want DNA? Here it is. I then ask him about having Gloria's watch and him supposedly saying it stopped on the time she died. He told me in the days before Gloria was murdered, she had taken a shower at his house and asked him to hold on to the watch. And I hold on to the watch. The watch stopped at the time, right at the time, right around the time they said she died. I, I, the, the watch was, uh, uh, you know, it just quit working. So I actually brought the watch forward to give it to Josh. Josh didn't get anything of his mother. So uh, when he got older, I said, you know, if you want it, you can take it. If not, I'll hold it till you get married or whatever, and then you can have it, or till you settle down, you can have it. But he didn't want it, so I trapped it. I still have it to this day. But, I mean, she she gave me the watch, and she didn't have the watch on when she, you know, when she left. So, you know, it wasn't like I got the watch off of her body, and that's what they're trying to say. And about them thinking he followed in a vehicle behind the semi that brought Gloria's body from Joyner, Arkansas to Springfield, Missouri? That's because they don't know who was in the vehicle, so they got to, you know, try to come up with something. But I don't know anything about that, about following some vehicle. Well, I do know that, that the detective said that someone in a vehicle told someone at the truck stop that there was a, a woman's body that was dumped right there. Other than that, I don't know anything about a vehicle following the truck. We talked about him escorting his mother, Ernestine, to Springfield during her crusade to catch a killer. Was he along for the ride so he could control situations and know of any accusations that might be thrown his way? Mama wanted to keep the case open. The detective had no leads, nothing to on. So they realized just put it in cold case. Mama didn't want to. She said, well, I got to go to Springfield in order to keep it open. I got to get it back in the news. And I'm like, well, I'll come and take you. And she's like, no, because I live in Louisiana. And, um, she called me one day. She says, I'm taking my wheelchair. I'm going to start at the bridge, and I'm headed to Missouri. And I'll get as far as I get. I'm like, well, if you're going to do that, let's do it right. I'll come with you. So we set up my vehicle where her chair could charge because she had an electric chair and a push chair. And I, I set up my vehicle where we could charge her chair on the trip. I enjoyed all the time I spent with my mom. It was it was hard because it was about Gloria, you know, but I couldn't there's no way I could have controlled anything. We videotaped the whole trip. Uh, I don't I don't know what happened to the tape. I think it burned up in my house when my house got burned down. I put away a a violent street name. They burnt down all the cops in Bob's house. And Eddie. Why can't Sarah and John talk to Eddie, the friend who answered the phone that night? Gloria was in distress, rambling about something. The one Gloria thought was her brother, Michael. I was not going to allow them to bully Eddie and try to get Eddie to admit to something he didn't do. And that's exactly what Sarah was doing. Sarah was just uh, attacking anybody and everybody, including Eddie. Eddie's been a, a family friend for 30 years. I took him to Louisiana. When I went back to Louisiana, I took him back with me. I contacted the Springfield Police Department. This is, they see they don't know all this stuff. 
I contacted Springfield Police Department. I told them where we were. We agreed to meet. They were going to hypnotize Eddie to try to bring the phone conversation back out because I guess he blocked it. And um, they never did it, but they know where we are. They knew where we are. If they wanted to talk to us or, or we were suspects in something, they knew where to come get us. Michael says Eddie's part of the case went higher up at one point. What they don't know, Eddie was cleared by the FBI. Gloria had a car with a tag on it, and Eddie took the tag and put it on his car so he could go to Tennessee to see his mom and got stopped because that tag was red flag of a murder victim. And I told him that. I said, don't use that tag. He's going to go to jail. Well, then and he had a bloody knife in the back of the trunk with his fishing gear. They tested the knife and had fish blood on it. They tested the trunk, the car, everything. So Eddie got cleared through them. They called the FBI in on that. That was maybe the same year Gloria died. I also asked him something very, very personal, making it very clear if he didn't want to share this story, I would completely understand. I was told he went to visit his mom the night before she died. I did. She asked me on her deathbed if I had anything to tell her. And I said, well, what do you want to know? And she said, tell me you didn't have nothing to do with Dorian. And I told her I didn't have anything to do with it, Mom. Yeah, I withheld evidence from y'all, but I gave it to the police. And she had something to tell me because all my life I, I've been a brewer. I, I knew I, there there was a chance it could be one of the other dads that she told me who my dad was. She was satisfied with what I had to say. Why can't they be? Michael says there was a glimmer of hope at that point in time, but it didn't last long. At my mama's deathbed, she made us promise to, to drop all this and, and, and pull the family back together. It lasted a whole day. And then after that, it was right back to the same old thing. You, you know, the looks, the, the you kill Gloria, or you had something to do with it, or you know something you're not telling us. And there's a lot I couldn't tell them, but it all was going to the right people. I love my brother and sister. And you know what? Sarah could pick up the phone right now and call me and say, I need you, and I'll be there. They can mend the relationship enough to have family. I don't. I've tried over and over. Sarah tells me she tried to communicate with Michael. And John says he doesn't confront his brother about the murder as he waits for proof. I asked John, what if you're wrong about this part? And he said, I'll be the first to tell him, I'm sorry. There's one thing Michael and John do agree on. The brothers believe Gloria was not crazy. They believe she was scared. It's hard because, I mean, I look at it like this. If you would have listened, if y'all would have listened to her and heard her out and believed in her, this might not have happened. Or we might have known who did it and been able to prove it. But instead it was, oh, you're crazy. We're going to have you up. They got to have drama in their life. And it, 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 it kills me because I, I tried. I tried. And she called. She did what she said she was going to do. I just wasn't there to get the call. I had a follow-up conversation with Springfield Police Lieutenant Cully Wilson, who since this interview has been promoted to captain. He says the FBI doesn't just take on a piece of an investigation, talking about Eddie, Gloria's license plates, and the bloody fish knife in his trunk. They'll ask the FBI for advice from time to time, but that agency won't clear just part of a murder investigation. Also, Wilson is quick to add that as far as he's concerned, no one has been cleared in the murder of Gloria Barnes. 
not Michael, and certainly not five times, as he told me in our interview. Not saying Michael was involved, but at the very least, those things were exaggerated, according to Wilson. Wilson also told me that he didn't remember a tip about the Elvis semi being in or around Joyner, Arkansas. In all fairness, and this is coming from me, this case is more than two decades old, and he was not the original investigator. It does seem like something that would stand out, though. Wilson asked again, why Springfield? And I forgot that I actually did ask Michael about that. Perry knew somebody in Springfield, not far from Seven Gables. I think he had a girlfriend over there. I don't know if Michael helped cover up Gloria's murder, as his siblings believe. What I do know... Michael called me back and answered every question without hesitation right after getting out of the hospital following surgery and during a hurricane. I know Sarah and John will likely dispute most of what Michael says, but at this point, it's he said, she said, and we could do that all day. Was the family involved? A serial killer? Or maybe it was a crime of opportunity. Late. Dark. Alone. Among papers in Sarah's bag she brought to our meeting was a flyer that read, Gloria, we have not forgotten. We will not give up. Flyers the family put up around town for years. Just before viewing the autopsy photos many years ago, Sarah read a letter she wrote to a detective assigned to Gloria's case. She calls it closure. I asked her to read it. What is considered closure to a victim's family? It may be considered closure having all the answers you've been searching for so long. It may be considered closure having a perpetrator tried in a court of law by a jury of their peers and being found guilty. It could be considered closure to know someone may spend their life in prison or be executed for their crime. However, speaking from someone who has heard closure for seven years now, there is no such thing as closure where the justice prevails or not. There is only the hope of having an answer to the question of who killed your loved one. And if you are lucky, the answer of why may also be revealed. Speaking as a sibling, there is never closure. You can never have closure to the events that actually occurred. However, time and time alone helps you go forward where the pain of a hideous crime does not haunt you on a daily basis. I feel the events of a crime will never have closure, but will only be remembered on a less frequent basis. This is dedicated to the memory of Gloria Jean Brewer Barnes. Gloria was previously known in Springfield, Missouri as a Jane Doe. And a thought for the day, every Jane or John Doe has a real name and was hopefully loved as much as my sister. There are seven children in all, all belonging to Ernestine Green, who never gave up searching for her daughter's killer traveling hundreds and hundreds of miles in hopes of answers and spending nearly every moment working to keep Gloria's name alive. They were her crusades that were sending up hearts for Gloria. A reminder that this is an open investigation, so police can't answer specific details, but the investigation consumes many big binders at the Springfield Police Department. If you know anything about the murder of Gloria Jean Brewer Barnes, you're urged to call Crime Stoppers at 417-869-TIPS. John Knighton, her brother, has set up an email as he too works to gather new leads. That email is GloriaBarnes797 at gmail.com.
We have pictures up related to this case. You can find them at thetollpodcast.com or follow us on Facebook at The Toll Podcast. The Toll Podcast, Hearts for Gloria, is a production of The Toll LLC. Co-creator and host, Nancy Simpson. Co-creator and executive producer, Jay Lashley. Technical producer and audio editor, Kat Morgan Gaines. Marketing manager, Pamela Shelby. Web design and digital creative director, Shelby Powers. Original music by Jay Lashley. Reproduction or use of any part of this broadcast without the expressed permission of the Toll LLC is prohibited. If you enjoy the Toll, subscribe, rate, and share. Thank you.